And now presenting the Date Night Drive-In. Welcome back to the Drive-In, everyone! Whoa, what a great intro there. Thank you. Thank you, Am. We are recording this less... Th- Actually, no, exactly a week before it was supposed to air, so I'm I'm feeling good. I'm feeling excited for the, for the last minute editing. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're between jobs at the moment. Like, you are yet to start a yeah. job, is what I mean. Because when people say between jobs, that's yeah. like... I do have employment secured. Amazon employment secured. She's just got some time off between jobs, which everyone should do, by the way. <laughs> There's a message for our friends at home. When you go from one job to another, give yourself some transfer Hydration time. check, posture check. And hydration and posture. Both of our postures are horrible, because we are recording this sat on my sofa. We're under recovering blankets. from colds, we're allowed Yes, uh, we're, reco- we're recovering. We both had like nasty colds in the past week. Um, all tested, so it's not the, the thing with beginning with a C. However, we're, we're good, we're just suffering. However, we're just ill, so we're just sat under blankets. We've been binge watching some TV, and we're recording the first little intro to our fun Yay. podcast. This is the Date Night Drive-In, where we invite you, the listener, to come on a date night with us um, to the drive-in and watch a movie because that's what you do at drive-ins right you watch movies Um, well what movie are we talking about this week we're talking about Alien ooh sounds spooky not Aliens or Alien 3 or or... Alien vs Predator yes same franchise or um, Alien Covenant or just Predator or Prometheus Um, uh, Predator well Predator's technically I guess in the same canon but it's Mm. not like the same I get you I get you so, Alien, this is number 48 on the IMDb Top 100, which means of the films we've done so far, it is the highest ranked oh, one. Oh, wait, higher than... Um... Casablanca, higher than Scarface? Work. I thought you were going to say something <laughs> no. else. No. Like, when what was the other movie you watched? The first one. Oh, Avengers <laughs> Infinity War! <laughs> which, yeah, is not higher than Alien. Oh. Although it is, uh, it is number 62, weirdly. Oh. But yeah, this is one spot at the time of recording higher than... Um, Casablanca. Oh, cool. Okay, so very slightly better than Casablanca is what we should expect. According to IMDb users, yeah. which means okay. according to primarily white men in the UK and the USA, in this their is, what mid thirties? In their mid thirties, yeah. I'd say I'd say like the the next sort of generational step above us. Probably. Yeah, like millennials. millennials. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. No so, offense. So, People that subscribe to Empire or Total Film. Again, no offence, Empire or Total Film. I was subscribed to Empire when I was a teenager. I know, but that's because you wanted to be a millennial when you were a teenager. Please, we are being very boring. We are are being very boring. Tell tell me about the movie. So, the movie. So, Alien, can you guess what year it came out in? I want to guess, for some reason my heart's telling me either the 70s or the 90s, and I think I'm going to guess like very early 90s. It's 1979. Whoa, which is what? interesting. So this is like the real turning point for like particularly sci-fi and mm. thriller and action films because um, there's a small little known film called Star Wars that <laughs> came out in uh, 1977 mm-hmm. which just redefined the absolute yeah. the landscape um, and this is sort of pigging, piggybacking off that but very shortly we're soon to get... Um, Indiana Jones, we're going to get like Jaws, just absolute sort of classics of the action genre. Although I I'd think say Jaws was before Star Wars. I think Jaws was 1975. Was good. Yes, you're, you're correct. Thank you you're, very you're, much. You're, you're very correct. But um, you know what I mean? This is the 
forefront yeah. of like the big change into kind of action blockbusters. Like family action movies. Yeah, family, well, Jaws isn't really a family film, but you know what I mean. Yeah, which it's, I'd argue we're seeing a resurgence of now in cinema. Yeah, absolutely. But this is, this is like the new guard at this point, where previously mm. action movies were like westerns or like B-movies, like, you know, killer bees from Mars yeah. and things like that. This is sort of the new... Okay. Yeah. Um, so this was the second ever film of, again, a relatively little-known director called Ridley Scott. Uh, yes. You may have heard of. Yes. One of a few Oscars. What do you know what one of my favourite movies is? Gladiator? Thelma and Louise. Oh, also directed by Ridley yeah, Scott. Yeah, that's so why I bring it up. I, this, that might be on the list. I don't I, know. Oh, I hope it's on the list. Um, but yeah, this was Ridley Scott's second ever film. What was his first? What uh, did he start off with? It was it was a film he did for Paramount. Um, but your second ever film being so weird iconic. and like iconic as Alien yeah well Jaws was one of Spielberg's like his first or second right Ridley Scott's first ever film was called The Duelists which is about a short story okay so there you are this is a... it looks bad yeah hey we all gotta start somewhere so Ridley Scott's first like his second film was Alien and then he followed that with Blade Runner what a king <laughs> what a king right what a king and um, there's a few other of his films definitely on the list. I know for a fact Gladiator is and Black Hawk Down as well. Not that Robin sounds Hood, boring. Not bad Robin Hood with Russell Crowe, though. That's not on the top We're not going to talk about that. Tell me more about Alien. Tell me more about our star. Our star? Um, so, just a bit more information about the production mm. team. Uh, it was written by a writer called Dan O'Bannon, who you may or may not have heard of. No idea. Again, I was talking about sort of the new wave of these new sort of sci-fi Will's doing films. very pushing gestures with his hands for everyone else I, I, to indicate I communi- moving I, forward. I communicated the wave with like a wave <laughs> yes. gesture with my hand. Um, so Dan O'Bannon wrote a load of other sci-fi films. He was a writer on Total Recall uh-huh. and on Star Wars and on Predator. Oh, so nice. Okay. Um, the cast for this is really small. The human cast is literally seven people. Yay! I love like great. movies, especially science fiction or... or sort of setting forward films mm. that could basically be a play. Absolutely. Because I don't think that genre setting should, like, codify the narrative. You know what I mean? I know, I know, I know exactly what you mean, yeah. So, so yeah, this film has seven human actors in it, which is incredible. And for... one cat actor. And one cat actor called um, Mr. Jones. Realistically, maybe two, but probably one. Oh, no, it was just, it was just one. Oh, good for and Mr. It's, Jones. It's like, it's like a famous Wait, cat. Wait, did you I learn the cat's name? Mr. I think it's called Mr. Jones. Aww. What is the cat... This is this is the preparation that we do. Uh, what's the cat actor in Alien called? Uh, yeah, it's called. Um, oh no, Jonesy is the name of the actual cat. Okay, the cat in the movie, the fictional cat. The the fictional cat. Uh, I'm referring to cinemacats.org. A great service to us all. Um. Yeah, it just it just. Oh, four cats were used. Oh, four cats were used for the. Four seven human actors and four cat actors. Um, also, th- th- this this uh, website, Cinema Cats, reviews the film, and the the, the conclusion line is called "Final Musings," <laughs> which Good. is great. That's our plug for the episode. That's our plug for the episode. Yeah, um, I do have a fun cat-related fact. Um, oh, there's a famous on. scene where the cat like detects the alien coming and like recoils and hisses. The Human's way- best friend. Yeah, the the way they did that to get the cat to react like that, because as you as you know with your general knowledge of the film industry, it's impossible to make a cat do anything. Absolutely anything. Um, so behind the screen, they had a German Shepherd, oh, and they pulled no. up the screen, and the cat saw this German Shepherd. It was like, wow, and recoiled <laughs> and hissed, and that's how they got the Aww. tape of the film. What a uh, good actor! But the the human actors, 
were crazy talented. Uh, I'm going to go through like the top bill ones, but everyone in this film is amazing. Awesome. So the lead is Sigourney Weaver, obviously. Yes, queen. Iconic. Oh my god. This oh. was her third ever film role, and her, her like Yo. first... It's her first significant... It's her first, like, named character film role, pretty much. First significant? Yes, sig- significant. Exactly. And it kind of just launches her... Good for ...career her. from there. But, yeah, good for Sony Weaver, who we'll, we'll, we're going to see again um, on this list. in Hell a number yeah. of films, Like Ghostbusters. Hell yeah. Um, so, Sigourney Weaver is sort of the lead. Um, there's Tom Skerritt... Tom Skerritt is Duke in MASH, and he also plays Viper in Top Gun. Oh, I love MASH. So he's MASH. in a load of classic yeah. 80s films. Um, John Hurt. Yeah. Sir John Hurt, I should say, sorry. Sorry, sir. And also Ian Holm, who you may know for playing Bilbo in Lord of the Rings. Bilbo! Is he that short in real life? Uh, no, because... Okay. so he's not hobbit he's, he's not. He's not a hobbit size. He's, dis- he's quite small, though. Disappointing. Disappointing, yeah. Um, so... The box office was fantastic. The budget was only eleven million, which is pretty that impressive. That is not a lot of money to make a movie. I, I guess the seven actors they had were a lot of them. Like Sigourney Weaver wasn't particularly well known yeah. at all, and um, so her retainer wouldn't be that large. Presumably. The money was probably all spent on the four cats. The, the four cats, yeah. and um, it, it was almost um, entirely done practical effects. Yeah. It was done in a soundstage in London, not Pinewood. Not Pinewood. You ask. Um, and the rest of it was filmed, um, like, the exterior shots were all filmed using miniatures. That's um, so cool. I mentioned when I was talking about Dan O'Bannon, a lot of the production team came over from Star Wars. Yeah. Um, so they sort of used their knowledge of how That's they did awesome. the miniatures in Star Wars. That's so cool. I think it's just really creative, practical Practical effects filmmaking. are so superior, and I hate that I'm I'm such a snob about it, but I'm like... Um, confirmed on Date Night Drive-In. Hate CGI. Hate CGI is stupid. If you're an animator who works on CGI, you personally stole joy from me. Yes, correct. Uh, That goes out to you, Steven Spielberg. (laughs) Jurassic Park sucks. Love you, Stevie. And I think Coolsville sucks. And I do think Coolsville sucks. Coolsville does suck. Can you imagine living somewhere like (laughs) that? We're getting off topic. We're getting off topic. Um, So, talking of... Best visual effects. That's what it won an Oscar for. Yay! This film. Snaps. The visual effects are really cool. The um, like puppeteering and the design on the xenomorph. It was a puppet. Yeah. Oh heck yeah! And uh, it, we can go and you can talk about the design of the xenomorph and literally like, and there I are many will. books about it. So I'm very excited for you to get into that. And it also was nominated for best production design for obvious reasons. That's so good. Um, we could talk a little bit about the legacy. Um, I mean. It's a foundational film for sci-fi. Yeah. You have, like, this and Star Wars. Yeah. And that's, like, the upper echelon for what went on in 80s, 90s, and 90s yeah. sci-fi. Which is amazing. And um, this was also just sort of a new thriller film. So this sort of preceded um, some of the other really big slasher films um, that we saw in the 80s. Mm. Um, and a lot of, kind of, the... The themes and the way they created tension were also kind of copycatted over. Yeah. Well, when we get into horror, um, we're going. I we're going to ask my flatmate, who is like a horror film mm. um, obsessive, to to come and help us with those because they're neither of our strong suits, really. No, not particularly. Um, so I was I was going to say that a lot of the cast um, were quite old as well for this film. So a lot of the cast were late thirties, late forties, nice. which was. Sort of unusual for thriller and horror films. You're an OIP if you're over 30. Yeah, that goes out to all of our friends over 30 who listen to this podcast. We love you. We love you all. 
Um, although what was quite funny was that Harrison Ford was approached to play the role that Tom Skerritt plays of Captain uh, oh, Dallas. I thought you were going to say he was approached to play Ripley. No. Uh, although what is interesting is that when they were doing the casting, all of the characters were written um, as just gender neutral. Really? I thought that was just Ripley. No, all, all seven That's of the so human cool. characters were written just as like, you know, here is a character description, totally genderless, yeah. and they just auditioned a load of people and picked out seven. And it's a fairly, for the time, fairly gender-diverse yeah. film as well. I cool. will say that's really interesting because when I first started... Well, my understanding of this film is like, and I'm going to bleep this word out, but that it's a huge gender f- film because of the like, symbolism of... The genitalia symbolism of the alien and the idea of like giving birth and procreation. Yeah. Um, and so for me, like that would imply a very deliberate gender casting. So I think it's really, really interesting that they were kind of like, you know, if, for example, all seven, the best actor for the job had been all men or all women, do you think they, you know, would have they stuck with that? Would they, would they have been keen to split it as equally as it is? It's just interesting. It's, it's interesting. But, and I think it's really interesting that it's a film with loads of very kind of iconic characters yeah. like... Uh, Dallas, who's the Nostromo's captain, or Ripley, or um, even some of the more sort of out there characters like um, Kane, who is the first host of the Alien, played by Sir John Hurt, and it'll be really interesting to see what that was like if yeah. the sort of genders were switched around a little bit. But I just think that's interesting. It is. Um, so my other another fun fact that I have, uh, courtesy of the IMDb trivia page, which Thank you, IMDb missed trivia my research. Page. Yeah. Um, you know the xenomorphs got those big like chompy jaws yeah. and um, like there's these tendons that are, like glistening with saliva. The mama xenomorph. Um, yeah. Not the little baby. Not, not the chest burster, yeah. but the fully grown one. Okay. Um, those were made of like slashed up condoms because so they're cool. like stretchy and like rubbery. That's so cool! I love practical effects. Me, me too. And um, it's just stuff like when they dissect the face hugger. Mm. Um, what's inside it is like made out of um, like fish mixed in with like oysters must have been a to, horrible day on set for the props crew apparently um that and the scene where the chest bursts are actually chest bursts yeah. um for which they used um pig guts yeah that sounds good apparently the set just absolutely stunk i can imagine it was this tiny like sound stage really yeah. cramped sort of sweaty set like they ramped up the heat so people were sweating with the time so it looked like this hot horrible adds to the atmosphere spaceship. for sure yeah yeah, and um, it was quite early on in Ridley Scott's career, so he was doing the classic actor thing, the classic director things, where he's like, he didn't tell them that they were using a real animal's guts for the chest buff scene, so people, it was people's actual physical reactions to... There's a kind of lot of debate about consent and actors, yeah. and that's the kind of thing where, like, unless, for example, you have someone who I would say is strictly um, Muslim or Jewish or can't, like, touch pork yeah. for some reason... Um, then I think stuff like that is kind of fine. I think it's kind of fine. I still think it sort of sucks, and I yeah. know for a fact, just because I'm, I know a few things about Ridley Scott, that he really toned down the sort of that inverted commas method or That's good. directorial okay. consent stuff later on in his career. It's the sort of thing a lot of directors do early on in their career. Yeah, because I think like, it makes them edgy and cool. And they're like, we need the authentic reactions when really, it's if act- an actor's acting. good enough to be in your film, yeah. You know, if you're feel, if you've been exacting enough in your casting and you've cast talented actors, which this film is full of, then they should be able to portray yeah. surprise at being flecked in bits of guts. Yeah. Just, rather than ha- having to actually be surprised with pig guts, you know. Yeah, but it's just acting. Surprised with pig guts is the name <laughs> of my metal band. Oh, very good. Um, so do you want a brief sort of plot synopsis or? Yeah, I mean, can I tell you sort of what I expect? 
uh, from yes. the movie. So they are in space. Correct. Doing some space scientist stuff. Correct. Um, and they find an alien, mm-hmm. as in the title, mm-hmm. and they're like really jazzed about it. And then the alien starts killing everyone on the ship, and Ripley has to get her cat home. Yes. Uh, more or less. And there's a mech suit. Uh, no, that's Aliens. Aww. That's the second one. And that's also where the mum is it, Xenomorph is. Okay. So Aliens is, is, a, is the sequel, um, which is a much more of like an action film. Yeah. This film is a slow... This one, Alien, singular, yeah. is like a slow, creeping horror film. Cool! Excited! With, um, they're on this cramped ship being stalked by this yeah. like terrifying monster that can easily tear them apart. There's... A really iconic scene uh, with like something dripping. But we'll oh no, I've heard there. of that. I've heard of that. Um, so the plot is that they're on a commercial spaceship owned by a company called Wayland Chitani, mm-hmm. who suck, but we'll get into that later. Capitalism bad. Um, the ship's called the Nostromo, which is used a lot. It's referenced a lot in other like sci-fi oh, material cool. and things like that. Um, they're on their way home when they pick up a distress call. Um, they have to uh, investigate as part of like the galactic mm. charter or whatever, um, and they land on the moon. They have a rough landing, but some of them go and find a hive colony of an unknown creature. Um, so they scoop up some of the eggs, as they would, because they're yeah. scientists. Um, at that exact moment, the ship's computer realises that the signal is not a distress call, but a warning. <gasps> bah, bah, bah. Um, and then the bad things start happening in the film. Which are people dying Which people by dying? aliens. Dying by aliens, yeah. Am is a huge horror movie wimp, so this is a big step for her. Uh, we've agreed that we're going to watch it where it's like sunny and all the lights are on. And we're having soup while we watch it. And we're having soup while we watch it, correct. Um, so? So? What are you expecting? I'm expecting to not sleep well. I'm mm-hmm. expecting to cheer for Ripley as she's our final girl. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting a subversion of horror movie tropes, mm-hmm. and uh, to be really impressed with the with the uh, mise en scène. Good. Okay. And to uh, love the cat. So you obviously haven't seen it. No. I have seen it, but a little while ago, where I did like my classic film boy sort of like here's a load of films I have to watch so that was like when I was a year into uni so like five years ago which is exactly the reason I haven't watched it because you were like oh these are all the movies you should watch if you like film and I'm like I can appreciate film without seeing these movies I didn't say that by the way oh no I know you didn't say that no but you said you were like sorry I mean generally the people who like to watch films yes correct um, so from a rewatch, I'm going to pay a little bit more attention just because I know kind of the plot and like the directing to the design and imagery and symbolism and things like that. Mm. Just because I won't be as, you, you know, when you watch something for the first time, you're very sucked up in like the story. Yeah. And then when you watch it for a second time, because you sort of know what happens, Absolutely. you can focus more on what's actually a rewatch. going on on screen. Um, might, and last but not least, our, our snack for this movie. It's, it's, it's not last, because I've got another oh, thing okay, in my Okay, sorry, go document. on. Um, your early prediction, do you think that this film will deserve its place or 48th on the IMDb Top 100? I really want to say yes. I'm, like, really hopeful that this is the one you think four movies in. You think it's about, about Midway. right? Midway. You think, yeah, you think it's about the 50th best film you don't think it's any higher, any lower from your early uh, From my understanding, no. I don't think I'm going to enjoy it as much. Mm. But I, like, hopefully I'll be able to separate that from 
from what I what I think is sort of good and where it should be. What about yourself? Uh, I think it's actually a pretty perfect ranking, yeah. to be honest. Um, it's, it's hard because the list is kind of trying to be... Not objective, because it's based from people's subjective yeah. ratings, but it's trying to just be the films ranked on the quality or enjoyability of the films alone, whereas I'm kind of thinking about them in terms of, like, the overall legacy. Yeah, I totally... Because this is one of the most, like, foundational importance I've films ever, so I'm kind of biased. But I think it, it does deserve to be about where it is. Yeah. About for, like, it's not one of the best films ever. For sure. It's very important, very kind of creative, foundational movie, i say. So now you'll... Yes. Other question. Uh, which is our snack for this movie. So I've got one to to suggest. Uh, I've got one to suggest as well. I'll go first. Okay, fine. No, 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 no. All right. Do you want to... Men stepping over with him. Sorry, if I said ladies first. You'd go, be on, like, go on, go on. What, what do you want? Do you want? Um, you know the really bad nachos that you get at Oh my God, at View specifically? At, uh, well, no, no, no. We, we don't need to name drop specific cinema because if you want that. I'll so. name drop it. Uh, you know, like you get the bad nachos where they like somehow taste worse than Doritos or even own brand supermarket tortilla chips. But also still really good. And there's like the inverse commas cheese dip, which is mm. some sort of illegal chemical. Will and I had this last time we went to the cinema. Correct. And we're going tomorrow, so we'll probably have it then. Woo-hoo. So that's, that's my suggestion. Uh, it was going to be that or the really bad rollover hot dogs, but you're a vegetarian, so I wasn't hoping you can appreciate it as well. My suggestion is, because this is a bit of a horror movie and uh, we're having a little break to the pub in between recording this and uh, actually watching it, it's a bit of Dutch Courage with a beer. Some movies let you take some movie uh, yeah. film places, that's the one. Cinemas, Cinemas <laughs> that's the one. Some some movie film places, there's Anne, here's two film degrees. Cinemas, uh, some cinemas let you take alcohol in, and okay. when it's a little bit scary... Why not give yourself that little that little bit of courage nice. with a drink? Awesome. Okay, well, um, I think it's time to fuel up the car and vroom, vroom. rev off. Because we're going to the drive-in. And some time that we're going to spend now will seem to you, dear listener, like a mere second. For us, it will be several hours, I expect, because we're going to the pub now. <laughs> okay, we'll see you after the movie. Bye-bye. Bye. And we're back. That's the sound of our car pulling up when we've got back from the drive-in. There's a sound of my car pulling up, to which you are a passenger. Because I do not drive. Because can't drive. Uh, I choose not to drive, <laughs> first of all. You're too cool to drive. I, I am too cool to drive. Public transport sexy, kids. <laughs> Public transport is sexy if it decides to run on time. Um, <coughs> ooh, I have notes. You have, um, um, so... How we format the show is that I do the research. By research, I mean I go on like Wikipedia and IMDb, and then we watch the film. And Anne takes notes because she's smart and knows things about film. Oh, thanks. So I sort of lead the first section, and she leads the second section. You've been here before. If you haven't, go back and listen to our first three episodes. They're great. Yeah, although I think this is actually the film that Anne has enjoyed the most. So oh, hundred percent. I think I enjoyed Casablanca a lot, but for me, nothing will beat the experience of watching a movie for the first time. I totally agree. Um, so my first note, which you have seen, which made you laugh, Correct. which is the old flo- the old fox logo. Feels like it's going to call me a slur. <laughs> That's that was really funny. <laughs> it's just not a good logo. It's very crackly. It's like very obviously hand drawn. I don't enjoy it. But um, the title fade in is pretty sick. 
The Todd Faden is very sick, although Anne did make fun of the font choice. Yes, the font choice does suck for this movie. Um, Helvetica is not great. It feels very informal. I wish that they had gone to a more tech-based um, format, like the digital clock fonts. I don't know the official name that people use. Yeah. What is the name of the person who got the and? Um, oh, uh, Jeff Okoto. Yes, I didn't know how to pronounce his name, because I've only seen it written down. Uh, but we are, we're introducing a new segment into the podcast, which is the and check. Yes. So good for him getting the and. Good for, um, sorry, Jaffet Koto, not Jaffet. Um, good for you, Jaffet. You deserve that and. You did a great job. Uh, he does. And he's in a lot of really good films as well. Uh, I don't, th- I'm just looking at his IMDb now, and I don't think we're going to watch any of them on this. I don't think, like, the only one that I could think of might be Live and Let Die, but I don't think that's, like, a good enough yeah. Bond film. I don't think there's even any Bond films in the top 100. Vindication. Amazon never watched a Bond film. Um, so I'll give you a brief summary of the plot for listeners at home. It's set 100 years from now. Mm. There is a crew on a spaceship who are working for a uh, transport company called... Uh, Wayland Yutani. That's the one. They're just... Um, they're, they're like Amazon. They're just like this yeah. big multinational or multi-global, in this case, corporation that just have a load of stuff. Yeah. So they're transporting some stuff. They pick up a distress call from another ship. They go and check it out. It turns out it is a warning call. By that time, it's already too late. One of their teams got attacked by a weird creature known mm-hmm. as a facehugger. Um, the facehugger ends up impregnating him with um, an alien baby. Yep. And empreg. Woo. And as um, the plot continues, the alien grows and seeks to destroy all life on the ship. That's that's more or less it. Yeah, there's um, a few sort of details there. Um, so one of the big twists, uh, for example, spoiler alert for a film which is now like forty years old. Yeah. Um, is that um, Ash is secretly an android? Yeah. Uh, played by In Holm, who's wonderful, and um, he's secretly got instructions from Wayland Yutani to um, actually take yeah. on the specimen of the alien for them to like investigate because of how big and cool yeah. and intelligent it is. There are kind of a few points I want to touch on, specifically focusing on this movie in terms of like themes, and okay. the android thing is one of that, because robots are a, a staple of science fiction, and I feel like as a neurodivergent asexual person, I have a lot to say about the way robots are presented in fiction. I think it's really interesting. Um, so... I'm going to start by talking about the shot composition, because uh, I really enjoyed that. I think the first thing I said to you, and the first thing that really impressed me about this film, mm-hmm. is the intro, I'd say maybe the first ten minutes of the film, there's no dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's just all establishing shots of the interior of the ship, because our crew are in cryosleep. Um, and they're very slow-moving, pushing gently forward, panning to the left, panning to the right. It's excellent at building tension. And it kind of makes you acknowledge the vastness of space. If you're unfamiliar with space narratives, they are pretty much always a um, modernization of of seafaring narratives. In the same way that the sea is vast and unknowable and man cannot control it, space yes. is the same. Absolutely. Um, and something I think this film does really well is that you feel the isolation of them. Like, you're, you're right in comparing it to a seafaring narrative. It's very similar to something like kind of Das Boot or whatever, where yeah. you feel how they're trapped and the only thing that's keeping them safe is like this um, tiny oasis of like the spaceship or the boat or whatever in just the middle of this huge inhospitable sort of landscape. 
you could absolutely set this movie in the sea and make the alien like a, a weird mermaid creature and it would basically be exactly the same story. Yeah. Um, the second... The thing I wanted to ask you about in terms of shots as well, because once we get those vast shots, um, the interior shots are so cramped and claustrophobic once the crew are awake. Uh, but I know you previously mentioned miniature use. Yes. And as someone who paints miniatures yeah. and has a much better eye than I do for this sort of thing, how did the the miniatures of the ship look? Like, was it did the, were they painted well? Were there any techniques you were able to pick up on? <laughs> okay, so I paint like Warhammer. These miniatures are a, a lot bigger um, that are used for like filming. It's the same sort of technology they used for Star Wars. Yeah. It's sort of the same um, crew that, that worked on Star Wars. But um, I do think they use the miniatures very seamlessly to cut mm. in between the miniatures and the actual sets that they were using for the film. Um, there's a few moments where the... Um, yeah, there's a few moments where the... You can just see that like the effects are leaking a little bit. There's one bit um, where right at the end where Ripley shoots the alien out with the um, oh, yeah. grappling hook and... The alien is clearly just like a rubber suit or like a man in a suit just like floating on the end of this grappling hook and that made you laugh. Yeah, that um, did take me out of it. Which takes you out of it a little bit. But um, beyond that, I think considering they're working with a fairly cramped budget of $11 million, um, mm. I know they say by having only a human cast of seven people, but I still think they did a great job with the production. And I think you said that's the most impressive thing about it. Is, yeah. Is the, the production the just, and the set design. Obviously, the creature itself is this hideous, sort of yeah. almost Lovecraftian thing that was done by H.R. Geiger um, originally, who's this um, Swiss artist who came up with like hundreds of pages of concept art for the alien species. Yeah. Um, and they actually really had to like trim it down because some of the stuff he came up with was even more yeah. out there than what's in the film. See, for me, I mean, I, that this is why I wanted to talk about production design out the gate, because I think it's just so well done. Um, I think the light, this is one of the few instances where I've seen low lighting being used well and not mm -hmm. been just staring at a basically black screen being like, what's going on? What's going on? Um, I thought that was great. The score was incredible. The use of a heartbeat in the um, ongoing theme. Yeah, um, was brilliant, and I, I did some research. It was nominated for a Golden Globe and Emmy and a BAFTA for the score, which good an Emmy deserved. Yeah, how does that work? I don't know, but I know it got a nomination for it. Oh well, fair enough. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, I would also say in terms of the alien design, and I may be reading this totally incorrectly, um, but. The alien design, I mean, you talked about the condom use for the teeth. It felt almost sexual in a way. Absolutely. Like a black latex catsuit kind of design. And yep. like it's got like a slinky body, which was very popular in terms of modeling during the era. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of leaning into that, I'm going to, you know, we've got the main thing to talk about, which is gender and this movie. There's yes. so much to say about gender in this movie and sex. Absolutely. Um, which is, I think the first thing I got really excited about is when they go into um, the mother's control board, mm -hmm. the ship AI is called Mother, Yeah. Uh, to speak to Mother. It's like a womb. Mm -hmm. It's like this tiny enclosed pinkish space. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of like, I see what you're doing there. Obviously, previously to the break, we talked about the uh, chest burster alien being very phallic. Um, yeah. And just sort of the, like you were saying, kind of how he's very much impregnated. Yeah, with it. it's impreg. And the... Um, the visuals of everyone 
sort of crowding around him in like the sanitizer hospital room um, as sort of the yeah, yeah. As, as he's preparing as it were to give birth to the alien yeah. the visuals and the visual coding I think is really similar to what's used in films when they're showing um, you know uh, uh, someone giving birth yeah. I think the, the visual coding and say with like the hospital and the way people are crowded around and the music and the way it was shot was very, very similar in my head to what it looks like when someone gives birth in the film. So I, I thought that was a totally agree. And very I think well done parallel. The amount of bloody mess as well yes. is pretty, pretty comparable is my understanding. Um, but I think it's really interesting when horror looks at gender because you can kind of read it in two ways. One, what we are seeing here, male impregnation, a subversion of sex and gender is bad and unnatural. Or you can kind of read it as a unbiased fear of society. Yes. You know what I mean? The film isn't saying that this the transgression of sex and gender is unnatural and bad because the alien does it, but rather it is our fear of it which gives them power. That's a really interesting reading of it. Um, and I think now at some point we can add it to our... our so Am and I, beyond our film list for this <laughs> actual... Um, for this actual podcast project, uh, we also just have a huge film list of films we're going to watch anyway. You could um, say we're cinephiles. We are cinephiles, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, added to that, you could all definitely have some of the other alien films, particularly um, uh, Prometheus, mm. it, which is sort of like a, a prequel to, yeah. a, um, to Alien, Aliens, um, gets really into like you were saying, sort of symbolism, it's a lot more abstract. Um, That's awesome. Which is one of the reasons it wasn't as popular with people, because there's less... No! You know, there's an alien in outer space, and they're shooting at it with guns, and more, you know, I about... love abstract cinema. Yeah. Um, so I now would like to move this time, so we talked about me on set, and we've kind of talked about the themes mm-hmm. of gender, and I'm just going to kind of move on to my final topic, which is the character focus. People I want to focus on are... Ripley. Ripley. Ash. Ash. And Dallas. Yes, I thought I thought you would say those three. Um, I'm going to talk about Dallas first, who is the captain of the ship, mm-hmm. uh, because I think there's not really a lot to say about him as a character. Originally, um, as I mentioned in the previous part, could have been played by Harrison Ford. Great do you, cast. Do you think? I think that would have worked for his character, mm. but equally, I think um, the performance as it was by Sir John Hurt yeah. was excellent. John Hurt anyway. wasn't. Dallas. He was, he was. Oh no, oh, sorry, Tom Scarrett. Yeah. Sorry, Tom. Sorry, sorry. Uh, head. It's okay. <laughs> I'm out of my head. Yeah, uh, no, T- Tom Scarrett, who was in, uh, as we mentioned, a few other things. He but... did a great job. I did think as soon as Dallas had like five minutes of screen time, I was like, he reminds me of Riker. Um, obviously, Next Generation came out after this. Yes. So. Not too long after. Not too long, only a few years. Um, but I think that made me very much endeared to his character quite quickly. Luckily, there is no chance that Anne will be able to make me watch anything Star Trek related for this project, unless we eventually expand it to um, IMDb top TV shows, which would be a nightmare. Um, But yeah, no, I thought Dallas was a really good character. He did a good job, I think, of exemplifying a non-toxic masculinity. I'd go so far as to say there isn't really a heavy masculine presence in this film at all. In so much as that we don't have those like very traditional diehard esque action heroes. No, no, absolutely. I mean, ironically, like the closest to that in this film is Ripley. Ripley. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to say my first off, my first point is like the thing that we should all take away from this film is that Ripley is so smart and we should listen to her all the time and never abandon protocol. She said not to let John Hurt on the ship. Yeah. And they shouldn't have. 
Yes. Um, yeah, sorry, John Hurt plays Kane. Yeah, the guy who gets chest-busted. Um, chest-busted, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're, you're correct. Ripley said, you know, you've got to follow protocol. You can't let him on. And she was right. Um, something that I picked up on is I uh, really interesting. The two uh, female characters both have close-cropped hair. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like, I wonder why this is. It's probably just for practical reasons in terms of doing a lot of heavy lifting, yeah. walking around. It'll be make your life a lot easier. Also probably easier to deal with in cryosleep. Yes, maybe. I'd imagine so. Um, and I think that was a nice cons- uh, consistent thing that right. they had across the characters, that everyone seemed to have close-cropped hair. Easy for you to say. Difficult for me to say. Um, something I thought was interesting about Ripley is she is not the main focus of the narrative at the start it's very much like equally shared between the cast of characters absolutely um and i think that also that helps you oh that was a horrible sound um i think that helps you as the audience sort of appreciate the feeling that it's kind of really being thrust on her where she's just the warrant officer on the ship and ends up having to be like the big hero at the end of the day and i feel like that message is kind of carried through by the fact that she's not a She's not like a main focal character for the first half yeah. of the film, and she ends up having to sort of take yeah. on the mantle because um, everyone else gets murdered by the alien. And we're introduced to this cast with very minimal dialogue at the start, but you still get a good sense. Like, I don't know who any of these guys' families are, what their motivations are for being on the ship, even what their specific job roles are, but we still connect with them as characters and people. which shows that the dialogue is doing its job. Absolutely. And um, just some of the scenes where, you know, um, Parker is talking about not getting his full bonus on yeah. the ship and things like that, or when they're eating um, dinner together and it's got their overlapping conversations. Yeah. It really gives gives you a good idea about their dynamic, how long they've known each other, and um, gives you like, a good sort of briefing of their personalities, um, which is, I think, important for a movie with a cast this small you need yeah. to really sort of have a clear understanding who everyone in the cast is otherwise it feels like there's like not very many kind of key people in the movie one of my takeaways i think um when we discussed the movie after watching it was that it feels a lot like a play yes absolutely i'd love to see it on stage and i uh, well funny you should say that uh, a kid's school did like a children's that's so production cool of this. good for them how old and were they <laughs> It was, it was, I believe it was young. I'd have to look it up. Um, I, I, again, on the Alien Wikipedia page. Um, and somehow um, Ridley Scott found out about it and was like, um, yeah, this is a great idea. And I think he funded them, like, putting it on to give them some more money for, like, costumes and things like that. And That's amazing. Um, Sigourney Weaver attended, like, the premiere of it, which I think That's is quite cool. That's so cool. Um, I, I'm just looking for that now. Uh, I, I know that this happened. <laughs> See, so, is the internet gaslighting you again? Yeah, here we go. Students at North... Uh, so, high school students okay, high school in students. New That's Jersey fine. adapted it into a play. Um, <clears throat> Ridley Scott wrote a letter of congratulations to them and said for their next production they should do Gladiator. He donated to the school to put on an encore performance at which Sigourney Weaver was in attendance, who got on stage beforehand to congratulate the cast and crew. That's so cool. That's <coughs> so cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I, I totally agree that it wor- it would work as a play. Yeah. I think you can absolutely put it on as one, because the themes, and it's sort of just character-driven, and it's yeah. about their relationships, and their slow-building terror at yeah. the <coughs> aliens sort of creeping around. So, speaking of uh, slow-building terror and bad people, let's talk about Ash. Um, yeah, Ash, played by Ian Hull, um, of Bilbo Baggins fame, although he's not exactly a Bilbo Baggins-like character in this, is he? Um, 
sorry, I'm, I'm just pouring some coffee. We're doing this at midday and <coughs> we're I'm still waking up. I'm in pyjamas. Yeah, Am's in pyjamas. We're, we're still sitting on my sofa having coffee. Um, so in Home plays Ashley, who is secretly an android. Yes. And the scene where he tries to strangle Ripley and gets yeah. his head beaten off by Parker. And yeah. there's like the sort of milky android fluid going everywhere. There is, Ash, to me, is a really <coughs> interesting character because all of the other characters, Ripley, the alien, the rest of the crew, Jonesy, my yeah. beloved, um, all have pretty... Cl- you're, you're supposed to feel a very specific way about them, and that's yeah. pretty clear-cut. It's not pushed by the narrative, but it's very reasonable. You know, Dallas is heroic. Ripley is reasonable. Mm-hmm. Ash... Uh, is... V- Veronica. Um, is, she, is she called Veronica? Sorry, um, uh, it's, that might be the actress's name. Uh, I've may have mixed up there. Yeah, Veronica Cartwright plays Lambert, who's the yeah. navigator. Who's she's more like hysterical and emotional. Yeah, and things like that. For example, um, <laughs> yeah, Anne's, Anne's laughing at that. But, <laughs> but you know, it's just an example of that's how they sort of come yeah. across. Ash obviously is a bad guy morally. Um, because he's willing to sacrifice human life to follow his protocol. Yeah. There are kind of, I, in my opinion, there are quite a few ways that you can read this. There's sort of two main points to focus on with his attachment to the humans. The first being that he is doing this because he doesn't have a choice. It's protocol and he has to follow it. Yep, and the he's s- programmed to do it. The second being he views human beings as inferior. And, yep. you know, we'd be a mis- Remiss. Remiss, thank you. We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the parallel between neurodivergent characters um, in terms of struggling to understand human relationships and tone in comparison to robots. And I'm not being like, oh, this is problematic and bad because that's stupid. Um, But rather that I think it presents a really interesting read of Ash's character as a, a crossroads between whether he has a choice or not mm-hmm. in this and that kind of you know is is he a bad person if he didn't have a choice is, is he even is... a bad person at all because he is he's sort of not a person i'm a big proponent of if anything has a sentient consciousness be it robot toaster um it counts as a person yeah absolutely um i think it's interesting how <clears throat> at the end when he's died and they um reanimate his head he's to sorry interrogate him he's sorry but he views himself as separate to them you know yeah. he says um, he says you know i do not envy you and he kind yeah. of puts himself apart from them which possibly mirrors how he feels about them in the first place which brings into the question what are human android relationships like in this world why did he have to hide it i know very interesting and um in there's another um character who, who is an android in a future film which is one that we're going to cover for this so it's are, aliens are they cool um, we'll find out when we get there, but yeah. I think that'll be an interesting. This will be an interesting conversation to revisit them because he's a character who is portrayed in a very different way because his instructions and programming are different. That's than, so interesting. Than Ash in this um, film. Yeah, and it kind of begs the question: you know, are instructions and programming that different from the morals and values we are raised with as kids and our biological instincts? Absolutely. Um, and sort of just while we're on this this kind of conversation topic, robots. talking about characters, well, robots. not robots particularly, but um, yeah. <clears throat> do you think it's interesting that all of the characters are written as sort of one name, right? So yeah. that they could be blind cast. So um, you know they're, they're called Lambert, Kane, Dallas, where it's 
either yeah. surnames or a first name. It's sort of unclear for all of them. Yeah. I know in Canon it's now been fleshed out more before the Alien super fans come yeah. for me. But um, for the purposes of this film, they're written with modern names so that they could be blind casted between um, genders. Yeah. Do you think the film would be dramatically different if some of the genders were switched? Do you think it reads differently if you know, Dallas is female or Ripley is male or whatever? I think Lambert's characterisation would be very different. You think? I think even if she acted the same... And this isn't a criticism of you at all, it's just general understanding. Like, I would also refer to her as hysterical, but if she was a male cast and acted exactly the same, I don't think we would refer to her as hysterical. I, I kind of disagree. That's fair. Um, because this is unfair on you, I suppose, yeah. because... Um, I don't know anything about Aliens. Yeah, but in the second film, uh, Aliens, um, there's a character uh, played by Bill Paxton called um, Hudson, who... Actually, I think I'm mixing up characters, but there is a, a male marine in the next one yeah. who is very hysterical as well yeah. in his person in his characterization. Cool. So I, I think that's totally fair. That's concerned, contextual knowledge. I, contextual knowledge I didn't have. Yeah, which is why I'm, I'm not yeah. holding it against you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think it would be. I think it would be a different movie because we act like even though the roles are written gender neutrally through the visual coding of gender presentation, we will have different interpretations of behaviour. Ripley's character is... The villain, the alien, is transgressive of gender and sex, but so is Ripley. Mm-hmm. Because she takes on that masculine heroism role in a very different way to other final girls in horror movies. Yep. And if Ripley was um, a male character their actions wouldn't be transgressive and in that way only the villain would be transgressive of gender and sex. Absolutely. As opposed to um, the hero and the villain. And I feel like Ripley, it, she's brave. and She's sick. She's so cool. And she's very cool, but there's so much vulnerability as well. Yeah. You can tell that she's terrified, especially the final confrontation with the alien when she's on the sort of shuttle away from yeah. the Nostromo. Um, the scene that sticks out to me is when the alien is sort of... Um, in kind of almost like a powered down sort of sleep yeah. mode. And she can and, see it. And she can see it. So she's in the spaceship preparing to like vent it out of the airlock and she's um, sort of just repeating you are my lucky star which yeah. has got almost like a kind of nursery rhyme or something is, is how it yeah. feels to me um, from Singing the Rain um, yeah. is where the song's from. But the way she's repeating this over and over again I think it really adds vulnerability to her and you see how sort of sketch is. And I don't think they would do that with yeah. a male character. I think I think if they continue the male characterization, like especially the way Ripley takes Jonesy with her, because you know I would go back for that yeah. cat. I know. Um, I think that is also a a softer side to her character, which would be really interesting to see a male character perform. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and I think this characterization of Ripley is consistent, but um, develops a lot in the next film. So again, we'll yeah. get there when we get to Aliens, which I know is on the list. She feels like a person, like a real person, and not a collection of action hero traits, which is why I like her so much. Yeah, and that's also a reason why Ripley is viewed as one of the greatest action heroes of all time, just one of the best film characters ever as well. Up there with one of my favourites, John McClane. Yes. Love him. Uh, I think Die Hard's on the list. Die Hard's on the list? It might, it might be. Yay! This is IMDb, so it's not about the film's quality. I, I love Die Hard. Die Hard is a great film. Favourite moment from this film? Oh, probably when 
she puts Jonesy in the cryo sleep chamber on mm-hmm. the way back. I don't know why. It's just, you know, the way she's cuddling him and he's like, you're okay, you're okay, it's all right. It just, it's, I found it very touching that in this moment where she is terrified, she's choosing to take care of someone else. Yeah. And Even if it's just a cat. The way she's in the cryo sleep chamber holding yeah. Jonesy is very similar to a mother holding a child yeah. as well, which sort of furthers the theme of that, uh, in I, film. It's very funny to me because I, whilst I am very insistent that this movie is so about gender, I do not think Ridley Scott meant to make a movie about gender. No, I, I, I don't know. I can't I, speak to his attention. No. Ridley, if you're listening, give me a buzz. Great, great, great director. I'm excited for the future ones. Yeah. Um, my favourite moment is just the closing line of the film, which is, you know, this is Ripley, last survivor of the Nostromo, signing off. It's such yeah. an iconic quote. Um, have you seen the poster for this film? Uh, yes, because when I logged it onto my letterboxd, the poster came so, up. So you just get, like, the egg, and you yeah. know the iconic um, tagline as well. I can't remember. Which is, in space no one can hear you scream. Oh, that's from this? That's that's the alien. Work, that's so cool. It's just such an, like, I, I say, I, I, I use iconic a lot yeah. in this podcast because we're doing classic films, but this is one of the all-time great, you know, poster iconic. tagline. Iconic. I really want to get, my takeaway from this is I want to get an alien tattoo. That would be very cool. I'd love to. I'd, I'd love to get ones. one of Jonesy, or I'd love to get one of like you are my lucky star. Yes. Just like over a little sleeping cat. I think that'd be really cute. That would be that'd be awesome. Yeah. Add that to the tattoo. Yeah. Anne has a tattoo list of a load of tattoos. So many. My parents, if you're listening to this, no, I don't. Ha. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, um, I think we've sort of talked around Alien about as much as we reasonably can. Favourite movie we have seen so far. I think, yeah, com- between us it was our favourite movie. And it's the highest ranked, right? It is the highest ranked. Do you think it deserves its rank on the list? Yes. I would go so far, it's 49, right? Uh, 48. I'd go so far as to pop it up to 40. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of tens range, I'm very happy with. I think it's tricky with these movies in general when we talk about if they deserve the place yeah. on the list to separate legacy from quality however to me this is a film where undoubtedly not only does it have this huge cinematic legacy in terms of what it did for the sci-fi yeah. horror thriller genres going into the 80s yeah. but it's also just a really good film yeah. on the face of it as well exactly. this so is what it we were talking calls about, these though. two strands together like the reason when we talked about, both about Casablanca we were like this movie the script is great the acting is great it doesn't do anything new or interesting with the production, mm-hmm. which Alien does. And for anything to be in the top 50, for me, it has to kind of have that extra edge in terms of behind the scenes. Like Jurassic Park, one of the greatest movies of all time, and I will like hold myself to that. Not on the list. Jurassic Park's not in the top 100. I don't think so. Are you kidding me? I don't think it is. I refuse to believe that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but because it does these new and interesting things with production. Yes. Um, and I remember, you know, in film class, when we studied, uh, his film history, the thing that my tutors and my lecturers would always bring up would be the first time they saw Jurassic Park in cinemas. Go talk to a film academic who was able to go to the cinema when Jurassic Park was released and they'll tell you about the time they saw it and it's magical. Yeah. Um... But anyway, long rambly way to say... Long rambly way to say... Alien good. Alien good. Alien good. Um, and are you excited for Aliens when that comes up? Or are you no, worried that... No, I'm worried. 
I've never not... The only time I haven't been disappointed by a sequel mm-hmm. was 22 Jump Street. <laughs> we, we, love, we love high art here at uh, the Day Not Driving podcast. Um, high and low are arbitrary value judgments. You know what I mean. <laughs> hot, hot couture. Yeah. So um, I did a little jokey bit at the start of this podcast. Um, and if you didn't realise that it was a joke, I'm sorry. It's calling Ridley Scott a little known uh, sort of art house director. The next film, which was picked out by Am um, mere minutes ago, is by an even smaller, even less well-known director called Steven Spielberg. I believe that's how it's pronounced, yes. Uh, yes. And um, go ahead, and before I say the name, guess which Steven Spielberg film it is. Um, so... <laughs> oh, you didn't count that. I thought you were going to send the Indiana Jones... Oh, no, we could do that's, that. Because that's by Steven Spielberg. We can only do 16 bars, otherwise we have to pay money. Otherwise, uh, George Lucas is going to personally come around to our house with a baseball bat He'd and hit do us it. in the knees. He'd do it. He'd do it. He might do. Um, so the film is Saving Private Ryan, Yay! which Anne picked out. I've never seen this movie. Uh, I have. It's a... I'm unsurprised. <laughs> Will has seen every war movie ever made. Uh, probably true. It, it's a classic, and it's a war movie which manages to be very intense and very wary while also having a pretty strong message all the way through it so yeah um, who is the lead again tom hanks no who are they saving uh private ryan played by matt damon matt damon why are there so many movies about rescuing matt damon does he just have a damsel in distress face i think yes what, what, what are the other ones you're talking? oh um, the martian the martian and i guess the born film yeah. sort of this, this is um. Uh, same... he, just, he needs a lot of rescuing guys yeah saving private ryan next time up in i love tom hanks uh, I'm I, so jazzed. I, I also love Tom Hanks. Um, so this film came out in 1998. So this is sort of the start of the Matt Damon. Do you know what month Asons. it came out? Uh, oh, are you asking if it it came out in September? Oh, so I was. It like... came out on 9/11, 1998. Oh gosh, I mean it wasn't 9/11. No. Yeah. Well, well it was, but yeah. not, not on your thinking. Um, so I would have been four months old, five months old. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, this 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 is really material for the next episode when we get there. Yeah. I'm just going to read you the cast because it is insane. This is how we can fade out. Yes, Tom Hanks. Awesome. Matt Damon. Awesome. Anne Goldberg. Nope. You don't. Oh, if you, you don't sh- just that. show me a picture of his face and then like maybe I'll know. Uh, this guy. Oh maybe I do know who he is. He's hot. Uh, he is hot. Uh, Vin Diesel. Hell yes. Did you know that Vin Diesel was in this? No. One? Ted Danson. Ah uh, yes, love the guy. Nathan Fillion. Nathan Fillion. Yeah. Oh. Paul Giamatti. Very good. Uh, Brian Cranston. Awesome. It just like keeps going. And what Andrew is, Scott is in it as well. What is this cast? It's an insane cast uh, because old Steven Spielberg has a bit of pool. Well, come and join us as we visit Stevie for the next episode in May, coming out on the last Friday of May. Yeah, as uh, is our tradition. Before we go on holiday. We're gonna. Yeah, we are going to be going on holiday. Um, so yeah, come join us next time in the Date Line Drive-In. In the meantime, you can check out our past episodes on Spotify, Acast, or anywhere you get good podcasts. Just search for the Date Line Drive-In. You can find us on Twitter at D8, as in the number 8, Night Drive-In. And that's sort of all the places we do stuff. Um, this is a very sort of low-key podcast project where we don't super push and promote it. Um, but it would still be lovely to get a few little comments or yeah. tags or whatever on our Twitters. If uh, you like us, you can find us other places. We do a TTRPG podcast called uh, Rendezvous with Destiny. Destiny. We are starting a new campaign soon, and the character building episode for that comes out on the fifth of May. Yep, just the week after this. 
What it says? No, nearly Star Wars Day. Uh, nearly Star Wars Day. Um, so you can find that at rwd underscore pod. Beyond that, we're both on a load of other things, but th- those are promoted all over the Yeah, if you just go check out uh, at rwd underscore pod, you'll see all our other stuff there. Awesome. Um, and we will see you next time on at the, the date, date night drive-in. drive-in. We did it, yay! Ooh. Okay. <laughs>